So with that said, would you like to dive into the first ever edition of Eric Explains? Let's do it. Okay. Well, welcome everyone to the Eric Explains podcast. Yes, welcome everybody. Just like every week, this is the moment we open up the listener mail where listeners can point out issues they had with uh, last week's explanation. <laughs> There's no listener mail. Our email address is ericexplainspodcast at gmail.com. So how many baseball teams are in Canada? Um, now that's going to be a matter of... How many major league baseball teams? Major are league baseball teams. There's one. But Sorry, I didn't mean like how many, how many little league <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> we're oh, probably you don't know. looking. We're probably looking at Montreal. <laughs> yes. What was the name and, of that team? Uh, and I, the Montreal. It's not the Alouettes. Oh, this is great. So you're you're gonna have to refresh my memory here. <laughs> okay, the team in Montreal was called the Montreal Expos. The Expos. Yes, I knew that. Right. I just. And why were they called the Expos? Because in 1976... No, you switched eight, it. Number dyslexia two, there. Four. It's an, it's an even 67, number. 67. 67. 67. Mm -hmm. Montreal hosted the World Expo. Exactly. And so I've always known this. I grew up knowing there was a team in Montreal called the Expos. And there was mm -hmm. this thing called an Expo. Yes. But I always just had no idea what the heck... An expo is, and I've been kind of curious about this. And there's also this other thing called a World's Fair. And so there's part of me going, is that the same thing? Is it a different thing? Is it an official thing? Is there anything else you can contribute to the explanation of what an expo is? Since you brought up the the fair as an extra thing mm -hmm. that happens as the World's Fair, now I'm not sure, but I'm under the impression that the Eiffel Tower was also part of a world expo or perhaps a world fair. I'm not too sure now at this point. Yes, uh, you're correct. And we will get to that soon. The Eiffel Tower is definitely a part of that. We'll get into the famous structures of expo sections soon. According to Wikipedia, there's basically two lists. There's the long list of sort of world convention expos that are somehow deemed to be on this list. That goes all the way back to 1791 in mm. Prague, Bohemia, which was part of the Habsburg monarchy. Okay. Since 1928, there has been an organization called the Bureau of International Expositions, which in French is? Uh, Bureau de Exposition Internationale. Yeah, something like that. Okay, it's a French organization. And so since 1928, they basically controlled expos, world expos, but they've also retroactively gone back. And so Wikipedia basically has two lists. There's one that's the bunch of expos that are either officially recognized or not, or retroactively officially recognized or not. But then there's a smaller list, which is the ones that are officially recognized by this Bureau of International Expositions, right? That, that was formed in 1928. So the first one on that list is... Can you guess what year? On the official list. Mm -hmm. Out of this Bureau of International Expositions from France. Yes. 
Now, this happened before 1928, but it's on the official list. So I guess it was retroactively given official status by the Bureau. So would the event of the unveiling of the Eiffel Tower have been one of those official events? Uh, yeah, the event that the Eiffel Tower was a part of is also officially recognized, but that happened after the first one. Hmm. The first one, then, I'm going to... Do I get points for guessing within the decade? I think because this is a podcast, we just need to guess quickly and not have people get bored. 1856. <laughs> oh, nice. 1851, and it was in mm. London, England. And this was the exhibition that that featured something called the Crystal Palace, which is this giant building made of glass. Which, to be honest, I wasn't sure if I recognized or not, because there's also a football club named Crystal Palace. So I wasn't sure if I just was recognizing it through that name. But apparently the football club was formed in 1905 and they played in a sports center that shared the location of the original expo, which is where the Crystal Palace had existed. So when you go through the list and these are sort of gathered from the official and unofficial list, I thought it was kind of interesting to look through some of the old locations, reminders of the past, for example. So for example, we have... uh, in 1853, an expo was hosted in Naples, which was a part of the Two Sicilies Kingdom. Mm. Modern Italy didn't actually unify until 1871. I didn't know that. In 1854, we had uh, an expo hosted in Munich, which is part of the Kingdom of Bavaria. In 1863, an expo was hosted in Constantinople. 1865, Köln, Prussia. And then we had Budapest in Vienna, hosting expos that were part of Austria-Hungary. Hmm. And, the, and that's, that was the spacing of them? There wasn't like a, a scheduled spacing, like say the Olympics every four years kind of thing? So basically it looks like, aside from the 1970s, which I don't really know why when there were only a few, up until this decade, there were expos basically almost every year, it seems like. Now what you also have to understand is that they're br- broken up into different categories. And now the World Expo and the World's Fair is essentially going to be the same thing. What a World Fair is, is just sort of the name that that expo has given itself. Like we're the Chicago World's Fair or the New York World's Fair. It seems like it's mostly an American thing. And I think only, I don't know if it's 100%, but almost or or entirely 100% of the World's Fairs that you've ever heard about happened in America. It's just sort of how they branded or marketed their World Expo. Then there's specialized expos. And then there's other there's another two that we don't really need to worry about. We only need to focus on the World Expos and the Specialized Expos. Right. So the first World Expo was 1851 in London. The first Specialized Expo didn't happen until 1936 in Sweden, Stockholm. And the theme was aviation. So some of these Specialized Expos have interesting or somewhat funny themes. I comprise my top five list here. So the five most interesting uh, happened in 1949 in Lyon, France, and the theme was rural habitat. Number four in Jerusalem in 1953, and this might've been some foreshadowing. (laughs) The theme was conquest of the desert. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number three, and I like this just because the title is so funny. This is Okinawa in 1975, and the theme was the sea we would like to see. Do you see what they did there? The the mm-hmm. sea we would like to see. A wonderful kind of a pun, play right? on words. Yeah. Now, 
Number two, we have a tie because it's the same city hosted two expos, uh, two specialized expos in 1981 and 1985. This was in Plovdiv, Bulgaria. And the, the themes of those specialized expos were hunting and inventions. And I just appreciated how simple and direct those themes were. Plovdiv, Bulgaria, by the way, second largest city in uh, Bulgaria, or at least the second most populous. Yes, I watched a couple of travel blogs of people going to Plovdiv, Bulgaria. Seems like a nice place to visit. Um, Climate-wise, winter, spring, summer, fall, similar Plovdiv, to- Plovdiv, Bulgaria? Yeah. I believe the videos I watched, it was hot. They were complaining about mosquitoes and, and sweating. Now, I, I, uh, I assume that most people would watch this video and decide not to go to Plovdiv, Bulgaria, but for some reason, hot and humid and mosquitoes made me attracted to the climate. Just, they, they, they spent around a lot of time walking around the downtown areas and there's a lot of cobbled street, cobblestone streets, but it's empty, uh, you know, European outside seating. Apparently, okay. Plovdiv, Bulgaria is known as the, the city of seven hills. So there's these little hills in the city that you can hike up and it's not too far, but have these, this beautiful sort of view of the town. And there's lots of restaurants that have these, you, know, you can grab a beer in the evening and check out the scenery. Okay. Anyway, the number one of my top five specialized expo themes, uh, back to Israel here in 1956 in, I really have no idea how to pronounce this, Beit Dagan, and it was Citrus. Now, this town has a, has a population currently of about 7,000 people, but they hosted a citrus-themed specialized expo in 1956. I'm sorry, this is in Israel. Yeah, in Israel. Yeah. Okay. Famous buildings that come from expos. Mm -hmm. So there are some buildings that are featured in expos, but I tried to limit this to ones that were clearly prepared for the expo. Right. So you mentioned the Eiffel Tower. Do you know when the Eiffel Tower was built? Uh, it was finished in 1892. Um, is that correct? I actually don't know that. Are you guessing? It's probably earlier than that, but I don't think it's later than that. Well, the expo it was featured in was 1889. So I don't know okay. if maybe it was incomplete and they actually finished it in 1892, if you have other information. But according to this, it was unveiled in 1889 for the... Expo of 1889 in Paris. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Any other famous expo structures or buildings that you can think of? Um, well, I know in Montreal, they built a big expo building on okay. this island in the river that flows through Montreal. Yeah. Can um, you describe it? Um, large. Mm -hmm. What shape? Now, I want to say it's a dome. Yeah. I think there's something called like a biosphere or a biodome. Yes. Yeah. I didn't, um, I didn't include it. Sorry, go ahead. There's definitely like, I think now you can go there and there's like a botanical garden and uh, like a butterfly sanctuary kind of thing inside of there. Yeah, I didn't include that because I didn't know about it. And I was trying to only identify things that I thought were world famous. Right. That might be my ignorance, but also I wasn't sure if me thinking I knew about it was just only me remembering the Polly Shore movie. So I, I okay. didn't include that in the list. I'm going for just world famous structures that probably everyone really, really knows. So, so now I'm, I'm wondering if I know our viewers, our listeners, I'm sorry, can't see yeah, our hi, screens hi, Vicky, right now. Eric's mom. <laughs> I'm wondering <laughs> if my, if my background at the moment is not one of those. Golden Gate Bridge. No, Golden it's not. Bridge? It's not. 
That's unfortunate. Uh, but we can start in San Francisco. So San Francisco hosted an expo in 1915. And there is another famous San Francisco building that was a part of this, seemingly built for the expo. I don't know if everyone in the world knows this building's name necessarily, but probably most people would recognize the photo at least. Have you heard of the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco? I don't know if I have. It's a no. recognizable building that, again, yeah, I don't know if it's world, world famous, but that it, it's at least a notable building that is, so that apparently was built for the 1915 Expo. <clears throat> okay. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we have the, yes, the Montreal Biosphere from 1967, the Palace of Fine Arts, 1915, the aforementioned Eiffel Tower from 1889. Now, interestingly enough, if I asked you, yes or no, the Eiffel Tower is the most famous, just in terms of how famous it is now, the most famous structure to come out of an expo, you would say definitely yes, right? To come out of specifically the World Expo, officially yeah, the expo. Sure. Um, well, off the top of my head right now, I'm not sure if I can think of another one that I know was part of a World Expo and would be more famous than the Eiffel Tower. Exactly, because just logically thinking, how many structures in the world would you even say could arguably be considered more famous than the Eiffel Tower? Maybe five? And you would even say, you could argue that the Eiffel Tower would be the most famous, right? I don't think we can say definitively that this next structure is more famous than the Eiffel Tower. But if you were going to make a list of the structures that you could make an argument is possibly more famous, this would be one of them. And I had no idea this was a part of an expo. So mm. now before you, yeah. before you unveil the second one or the next one, I'm just thinking that, um, and I, I can't remember the name of the, the architect that designed the Eiffel Tower, but I think a lot of people believe he designed it with the thought in mind that this is going to be a world famous building for, for decades, centuries to mm. come. Maybe as we go through these next ones, we can kind of think like, did the did the architects of these buildings also come into the project with a similar a similar idea? So the arch the architect of this next building definitely had intent. I'm not aware of all the history, but this was manufactured with specific intent. So mm -hmm. this next structure actually was featured in two separate expos in two different countries. And if I tell you the two countries, you'll probably be able to guess it. Mm -hmm. So it was featured, or at least part of it was featured, in 1876 in Philadelphia in the Centennial Exposition, which of course was celebrating 100 years of Amer the U United States existence. Independent, yes. Another part of this was featured in Paris in 1878, two years later. 1878? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. A piece of it. America and France. I mean, Famous I know, structure. I know that the Statue of Liberty yeah. came from France, and there's that's four exactly of them. what it was. Okay, so the Statue of Liberty was made or designed by a sculptor named Frédéric Auguste Bartholdi. How's my pronunciation? Très bien. Okay, so he was really trying to, and this is stuff that we'd have to explain later on, but wanted it to be a symbol for French and American freedom. You know, there was the French mm -hmm. Revolution, America had just gone through the Civil War. It was something that mm -hmm. there was this big sort of political movement to have this 
gift given. And something I actually didn't know either, there was also sort of a movement in America too, because they had to sort of create support for it here. But it was proposed and the arm holding the torch was supposed to be a part of the, the French delegation to the 1876 Centennial Exposition in Philadelphia. The arm arrived late. It, it was only actually on display for the, fat, the, the final few days of the exposition. After that, it was moved to Madison Square Park in New York City. And it was actually on display there for several years, apparently, before it was shipped back to France to be attached to the entire sculpture and then shipped back to America, right? Yeah. In 1878, at the Paris Exposition, the head was on display. So we had the arm of the Statue of Liberty on display in 1876 and the head of the Statue of Liberty on display in 1878. So we're, we'll transition now to just other things that caught my eye on the list. In another expo in Paris in 1900, the escalator was featured. So a lot of these, the ones that seem most interesting are the ones from the, the beginning half of the 20th century because they're all predicting what future technology and modern life will look like. So the escalator was featured. The first prototype of an escalator was actually built in 1899. In Chicago, and this exposition lasted from 1933 to 1934, the Zeppelin was featured. So I actually yeah. didn't know a lot about the Zeppelin except for the, the Hindenburg disaster where it blew up, right? Mm -hmm. So the Zeppelin was actually the first transatlantic passenger flight service. And it was also the first circumnavigation of the world by flight. That happened in 1929. Now, it didn't do a straight flight. I believe it refueled maybe four or five times. I, I think I, it saw, I saw it stopped in Los Angeles and Tokyo. But it, it did complete the first circumnavigation of the world by air in a trip that was largely funded by William Randolph Hearst, the uh, American newspaper magnate. Now, for those following along who aren't sure what that is, it's a blimp, correct? Yes. And the reason it blew up is because it was filled with hydrogen, right? Mm -hmm. So the Hindenburg disaster happened in 1937. And so obviously after that happened, no passengers were willing to get on board. So they needed to convert to helium because helium was not flammable like hydrogen. Now, the issue was the helium supply was essentially completely controlled by the U.S. government. And originally, Roosevelt supported allowing Germany to get to access its supply. He sort of had a, a two-year plan. It was like, by 1939, we'll be able to supply you with the, the helium. But there were actually sort of other politicians who worked to, to block that. And I guess in hindsight, that was probably a smart decision to block the uh, Nazis from accessing the domestic helium supply. So, so yes, the, the Zeppelin made a total of 590 total flights before it was decommissioned. Huh. And um, any number on passenger capacity on that? Um, I forget. I might have seen that, but I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Another last notable here, back to Montreal. So there's a building there, I guess a apartment complex, we could say, called Habitat 67. So it's definitely something I recommend looking at pictures of. It, you can tell that it was designed in 1967, but it's just this bizarre series of homes that they're Is not stacked Is it kind of like Lego top. all stacked together? 
They're like spun, yeah. So one's facing this way, and then the one on top of that, it, it just they kind of like spiral in different directions. So this was actually designed as a thesis project by a then young architect named Moshe Safdie, who went on to actually design the Marina Bay Sands and also designed, I believe, the airport in Singapore, you know, the one that kind of looks like a rainforest. Mm -hmm. So he's a world-renowned architect now. He's quite old, I believe, in his 80s. But yeah, they designed it as a way to combine sort of suburban lifestyle with apartment living as they correctly predicted in 1967, populations were just going to continue to get more and more and more dense. Uh, obviously, this type of structure didn't catch on at the time. Maybe now, I, so I watched, there's actually a TED talk from 19, uh, sorry, a TED talk from 2014 with Moshe Safdie, which I really recommend. It's only five minutes long, but he actually mentions this Habitat 67 and how it kind of failed, but now, whatever, 50 years later, perhaps the trend in architecture is finally evolving that way, even if it's later than it should have been. So I think so that's I'm, all the notes I have. Yeah. I'm thinking of the design of that building and then was it significant because it sort of maximized access to light and window space to the, to the outdoors? Is that why it was? I believe it was developed? mostly attempting to limit corridor spaces and give outdoors so like i think like essentially what happens is your downstairs neighbor's roof instead of being directly below your floor becomes like your front yard or your backyard so there's more open mm -hmm. space right? right i don't know if there's actually necessarily sunlight limitations calculated into that but i'm, I'm sure that the sun exposure would be much better than a standard apartment mm. building any mm -hmm. questions about expos yeah, I think we should put a link to that TED Talk in the show notes for um, the, that thesis from, what was Absolutely. his name? Moshe Safdie. Right. Yeah, no, um, that's really interesting. And I don't know, were you able to go to the expo in Yosu or check out any of the buildings that they had put up for that? I went to Yosu for the first time in my life a couple months ago, and that was sort of where this curiosity began. Mm. It was exactly how you would expect the location of an expo eight years after taking place to look. It was still impressive and beautiful, but everything was rusted over and it was completely deserted and, and sort of depressing, but also still very Im impressive. Like you could, yeah. you could imagine what it looked like in its heyday, but all of the boards and the walkways needed patching and you know, everything was rusted over. And so, yeah basically exactly how you would expect it to look. It's funny that you say that because I I went there not too long after the expo had finished and it was already that way. I bet. So I bet. Definitely no sense of like, yeah, we should we should kind of try to make something of this for the extended future. It was almost just like we we did it, we're done and that was just an abandoned sort of area of uh, the town. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I think that's all for today for our first show. And next week, we'll, uh, we'll get an interesting explanation from the other Eric. And make yes. sure to send all of your criticisms to ericexplainspodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, please, please don't forget this was episode one of season one, and we're open to feedback. So uh, looking forward to getting this thing off the ground. Okay. Bye, everyone.
See ya.